And it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness. And behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. We return to this chapter in this rather tragic series of narratives concerning the rebellion of God's people again and again, contending and fighting against their own deliverer. And the Lord, having subjected himself, as it were, to a test, to put to silence, and not only in a figurative way, but in a very literal way, uh, Korah and his company in Numbers chapter 16, as the very earth opens its jaws to to bring down uh, these rebels, and as fire breaks out to destroy the princes of the people. And as very shortly thereafter, a plague passes through and more than 14,000 die. The Lord is going to give yet another demonstration of who whom he has chosen, the man whom he has chosen, and Aaron the one whom he has chosen to be the high priest, the one whom he has anointed to come into the holiest of all. He vindicates him uh, through this uh, further test as those 12 rods are collected by Moses and the names are written on each of the rods and on the house of Levi's rod is written the name of Aaron. And in the presence of everyone, they are placed within the tabernacle of witness. And the next day, we see, and they all saw that one staff budded and blooming with blossoms and yielding almonds, Aaron's rod that budded. And it was laid up from that point in the tabernacle, placed in the Ark of the Covenant for an enduring witness, a very, as we considered this morning, a very solemn and yet a sweet witness, even though they do not respond properly with faith. That is what we need to do when the Lord gives sweet offers of the gospel. We need to mix this with faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must not rest upon our own excuses, but promptly and readily offer our hearts to Him, to surrender to Him. And the Lord assures us that this surrender is not the surrender as a prelude to destruction. If you will but bow the knee, if you will come uh, to the one who is represented by that rod, and it is not Aaron, it is one infinitely greater than him, the Lord Jesus Christ, then it will be a sweet surrender. And you will live, indeed you will live forever 
Well, we considered, didn't we, dear congregation? And we began, really only we scratched the surface to consider how Aaron's rod budding and blossoming and bringing forth even almonds, how this typified the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we'll continue exploring this in our first point. Second, more briefly, we'll see how it also represents the visible church of Jesus Christ and her ministry. Third, how Aaron's rod blossoming typifies each living member of Christ. And fourth and last, we'll return to a thread that we left behind but really needs to be developed, and that is counsels and warnings about carnal despair. Counsels and warnings about carnal despair. So first, let us delve more deeply with God's help, considering the symbolism, and not just a symbol, but really a type, because that's what a type is. It is a a symbol that reaches forward to the things of Christ and the gospel. It's as the shadow that is cast down onto the ground by one that we do not as yet see, but he is coming towards us. So these things as Aaron's rod were so many types and shadows for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't we see, as as we reflected already, that Aaron's rod represents Christ as proven by many infallible proofs? These things were not done in a corner. The Lord Jesus Christ, he taught and he healed and he cast out demons publicly. There was no ambiguity about it. There was nothing staged. There were no men in suits with earpieces listening to some names that are put in their ears. No, there were no shenanigans. There, were no, uh, there was no pulling the wool over the eyes of the gullible. None of this. What you see, what you saw was what you got with the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you saw was the embodiment of truth and authenticity. Indeed, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But not like some axiom of philosophy. No, the word was made flesh. And we saw him. We saw his glory. And of course, the climax of the witness of Jesus Christ centered in that week of his passion, his crucifixion, hanging between two thieves. For the world to see. And what was written? What was written over his head, boys and girls? This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Three languages, just to make sure that everyone understands. All these passers-by, 
Oh, the Jews say, don't, don't write that he is the king of the Jews. Write that he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate, very interestingly, in the absolute providence of God, says, what I have written, I have written. Be it known unto you, says Peter to the Jerusalem sinners, that the one whom you saw who was approved by God, by signs and wonders, which you all know, him, he was delivered by the determinate counsel of God. You, with wicked hands, crucify, and you slew him. But he is not dead anymore. Oh, no. David, you who, who come from afar as pilgrims to, to celebrate the great feast, you may go and you may visit the tomb of great King David. And his remains are there. But not so with the tomb of Jesus. And we have seen him. And that's the note of the, the Acts of the Apostles, isn't it? We declare unto you the resurrection and that we are witnesses. And Jesus sends them as witnesses. This, among many other things, is typified by the proof of Aaron's rod blossoming. Your faith is not a fancy and never, never allow yourself to let your mind move into, into the, the kind of the shadows of fanciful and interesting stories. Christ was proven with many infallible proofs. He was also clad with authority. The prophecy said, there shall come a star out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. What is the point of the signs and the certifications and the proofs but to point to the authority? This is the, this is the crux of the issue with respect to the rebellious congregation, Moses and Aaron. Who made you? Uh, the authority. Well, in, in fact, God did. And now he'll prove it. This rod, and it's still on there. If we, if we were there, we could go and we could see it. Written in Hebrew, Aaron, on that rod. All the rest are dead and lifeless. But there, there, there are the buds, there are the, the blossoms, and there is... The almond, all of the almonds demonstrating the authority. This is the man whom I have chosen, and God did the same thing and infinitely more with his son at his baptism. Things were seen, things were heard. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Hear him. I have anointed him. I have put my spirit upon him. 
He went forth with authority. Yes, as fully God, he was the Son of God. But at that particular time, in his humanity, the God and the the God nature and the human nature together, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure. And there was a certain authority and a power. If I, by by the Spirit of God, with the finger of God, cast out devils, then you know that the kingdom is among you. This is the one. And he is my son. And he is the Messiah. Kiss the son. I have set thee, my son, upon my holy hill of Zion. Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance. And whether or not sinners want to receive him is quite beside the matter. Oh, we commend, we commend him, and we call upon you to bow. He offers most gracious terms of surrender that whosoever repents and believes the gospel even now, they shall be pardoned all their sins. But if they do not believe and they resist his authority, They shall answer to his authority on the last day. And then they won't see buds and blossoms and almonds. They will not see signs of peace. Friend, today, if you you will not bow to him, I'm not talking about simply professing him. Taking him in your lips, I'm talking about surrendering your life. You know that one area that you've been keeping aside from God? That. You've got to give it up. If it's your right hand, cut it off. Throw it from you. If it's your right eye, rip it out of its socket and throw it from you. It is better to enter into into heaven with with one eye than go into hell with two. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he has been clad with authority. All authority in heaven and earth is given unto me. And it came to pass that on the morrow, Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. We must hasten on. Does not Aaron's rod typify the supernatural yet natural character of Jesus Christ? And that at the same time, he was so weak and yet ever so strong. There shall come a rod out of the stem of Jesse. And a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Richard Sibbs, very interestingly, uses this illustration to refer to the weakness of our Lord's conception and birth. 
This was typified in Aaron's rod, which budded, though it had no root. Also, like the burning bush of Moses. And the God that caused these things caused a virgin to be a mother. So very weak. So very weak, and yet infinitely strong. So very natural. Before, before the, the, the 12 rods went into the tabernacle of witness, they all looked the same. There was no beauty that we should desire him. He told Peter to put away his sword. He concealed his power and his glory, particularly at the moment when it required him to surrender to the cross, the very symbol of weakness and shame, a scandal, a scandal to the, to, to the whole world. And yet there was infinite glory there. Infinite glory. One of the church fathers, Justin Martyr, he waxes uh, eloquent, as sometimes these fathers did, when he spoke of many figures in the Old Testament of the wood of the cross by which Christ reigned. And he goes down the list. The wood. Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. The wood is cast into the water, and the, and the waters are healed. Well, so it was by the wood. It was by the cross. Peter says himself, uh, bear our sins in his own body on the tree. Humble instrument, indeed, uh, more than a humble instrument, is, a, is this tree was in fact a cross, a Roman cross, and yet he triumphed by the cross. Look at the world of Christendom. He has triumphed by a cross. Christianity is natural. It, it, it comes into our world. It came all the way, taking our flesh and even embracing death. He tasted death for every man. That's how natural Christ is, and yet he is very God of very God. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Behold Aaron's rod blossoming. And as it was alive and abundant with those blossoms and, and those almonds, so the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the life he was alive and was dead, and behold, he is alive forevermore. And he is the source of, of spiritual life. If I live, you shall live also. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
He that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And some of you have been trying to bring forth fruit, bringing it forth out of the concrete of your heart. Well, that's madness. Abide in Christ. Well, how do I do that? Get in his word. And get his word into you. And abide in him. And exercise faith and, and walk out of that word in obedience to him. He is the source of life. He is the source of miraculous resurrection, spiritual life. He is the one who says, I am like a green fir tree. From me is thy fruit found. And is he not, as Aaron's rod, altogether lovely? Don't you love, child of God, how God is no utilitarian. Oh, he's most practical. Make no mistake. He is the God, the God who makes your professions engineers so very useful and impactful. But he is also the God of beauty, the God of excellence. And the Lord commends his son to you by making him altogether lovely in your eyes. Be done with all other sights and visions. This is a sight to captivate your heart. And let me also say, maybe some of you young people, maybe now or at a recent time, your heart has been broken, a relationship that, that didn't work out. Here is one upon whom you may look and to whom you may approach and embrace him and he will satisfy you perfectly and never disappoint you. Second, having looked at Aaron's rod typifying Christ's person, more briefly, Aaron's rod typifying the visible church and her ministry. Christ in his threefold office has established a ministry in his kingdom, the visible church. On this rock of Peter's confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And he gave unto the apostles the keys of the kingdom of heaven, that whatsoever they bind on earth may be bound in heaven, and whatsoever is loosed on earth may be loosed in heaven. This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Outside of it is no ordinary possibility of salvation. And that's not Romanism, friends. That's the Reformed faith. It's in your three forms of unity. It's in my Westminster standards. Now, 
we reject the wicked and blasphemous notion that somehow Jesus Christ becomes anchored to a certain church. And no matter what she does, that he and his blessings must always remain there. Or that even in her best expressions, there is automatic grace for anyone who will come within her walls. That is absolutely not the case. And it is a wicked perversion of the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, and yet, while it's only Jesus Christ who can save you, he walks among the seven golden candlesticks. And he holds the seven stars in his right hand. And this is why great Reformed and Presbyterian men of old like George Gillespie would speak in such terms about the true church. That where to use the language of the, the first generation of the reformers, also in the Belgic Confession, wherever we discern those three marks, the faithful preaching of the gospel, the right administration of the sacraments, and church discipline, there is the true church. Now, if we are to be saved and lived blessedly, then let us not despise the church. Let us not grow cold. Let us not grow indifferent. And some of you may think, well, that would never be me. I mean, the ties that I have within my family, are they're so very deep. Well, all of that may be true. But if it's not in your heart, it's nothing. But what's even worse is that if your dead heart should allow you to reject your conscience and the appeals of your loved ones and you fall out of the habit of going to church, it's like being out at sea without a sail and a rudder. It's a dangerous place. And for that matter, Dear friends, those of you who are not only in church, but the church is in you who are not only uh, in church, but, but Christ is in you, bring, bring the rod. Take Christ to those who are outside of him and to those who are outside of the church and and hold him forth and prevail, if you can, upon others to come to this place. Because this is the very, as Samuel Rutherford called it, the workshop of Christ. The dragnet is cast out. Yes, it must be beyond these walls. There is no doubt about that. But let us bring them to the place where Christ is pleased to come in a special, regular, and supernatural way. The Holy Spirit is absolutely free. He doesn't need any of you. He doesn't need me. 
Make no mistake. But the Holy Spirit of Christ is pleased to come where there is faithful preaching. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is coming from and where it is going. But the Holy Spirit loves his own word. Come, my friend. I know you haven't been in church in years. You don't have to wear a suit. You don't have to be perfect. Just come. You can sit with me. You can sit with my family. But you need Christ and you need to hear the gospel. Third, as we consider this rod that budded and brought forth blossoms and yielded almonds, does not Aaron's rod, if it typifies the Lord Jesus Christ, does it not in a secondary way typify every living member of Christ? Are not true believers proven commodities, at least in some degree? Paul says, I don't need to recount what has been blowing through the, the Christian world about your faith and hope and love. Or to the Corinthians, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle, the letter of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. You know, the Lord gives proof wherever his Holy Spirit works. There, is, there are buds and blossoms and almonds. There is patience where I didn't really see it before. There is modesty and humility where I didn't see it before. And sometimes we can take heart when our hearts are heavy and maybe we lack assurance. Maybe we've been waiting on the means of grace and we've been seeking the face of the Lord and it just seems as though we have no light but we walk in darkness. But then a, a brother or a sister comes and says, yes, but I think I can see it in you. So take heart. The Holy Spirit's at work. And let's not neglect to do that from time to time. That doesn't mean we flatter people, okay? We're encouraging people, and we're acknowledging the work of God in them. And that just might be the shot in the arm that they need that day or that month. As we are Christians, we are clad with authority. Under Christ, to be sure. But he loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood and made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Oftentimes we walk with, with hunched over shoulders and we shuffle and our faces are cast down. 
Now, we are nothing. If indeed we are genuine believers, we, are, we see nothing good in ourselves, in us that is in our flesh, dwells no good thing. But that doesn't change the fact that if we are in Christ, we are kings and priests. And we are invested with that authority for the glory of God and the good of our neighbor. And it doesn't matter how common you are. You can be cleaning toilets. And for all I know, maybe there's someone here that does. And that is a most agreeable and noble calling if you are one of the Lord's. Don't be so self-conscious about how you look. Your body image. About your, your, your socioeconomic standing. Or if you didn't end up just like mom and dad wanted you to be. That doesn't matter. If you're one of mine, says Jesus. You're a king. And a priest. Like Christ His people are supernatural, yet natural, so weak, yet ever so strong. He that is born of God, though he is so weak, yet he overcomes the world. Every believer also, as Aaron's rod is alive and abundant. The righteous shall flourish as the palm tree, says the psalmist. He shall grow like the cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of my God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. He gives the increase. And we're nothing. We're we're absolutely nothing. We're like those 11 rods. The difference is not here. The difference was not my parents, my breeding, none of that. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And the transformation, it is of God, so that no one can boast, so that he gets all the glory. And he makes us most lovely in his loveliness. Fourth and last, as we round to a close, counsels and warnings about carnal despair. Now we're Shifting gears, but we have to go back to the text and deal with some unfinished business. Notice the response of the people once again. And the children of Israel spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Whosoever cometh anything near unto the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Would to God that they had simply believed. 
but they won't believe, then instead of doing what they ought to have done, they give way to carnal despair. Now, as we briefly consider this carnal despair and be warned concerning it, let us say that although there may be uh, some relationship, this kind of mentality is to be understood as distinct from mental illness. There is a distinction, I am sure uh, you understand these things. And there are some who are troubled, who have been afflicted uh, in their body for various reasons. They still, of course, have a spirit. They still, of course, have responsibility. But we do need to be careful to distinguish these two things. But I want to focus on the sin of carnal despair as we close. It is a state of mind by which a sinner is weighed down by the curse of God and sees no hope. There's more than just that. But it often involves the things that we consider here. We, we look at Cain, for example, who said, My punishment is greater than I can bear. This carnal despair... A fleshly despair is distinct from the despair of evangelical repentance, where one despairs of all hopes and all confidence in myself, in my works, in the church, in every other thing to save me. It is only the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a good despair. But this is not... That, this is the sorrow of the world, a repentance that needs to be repented of. Behold, we die, we perish, we all perish. Sometimes this carnal despair infects the hearts of minds of, of genuine believers. Jeremiah Repeating, perhaps, the words of Job, Cursed be the day wherein I was born. Let not the day wherein my mother bare me be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, saying, A man-child is born unto thee, making him very glad. Sometimes this affliction can come upon even the best believers. Sometimes it is characterized by gross ignorance. Now, especially among unconverted people and the world, this is even much more common. Charnock writes about the despair of paganism. The heathens, by the devil's instigation, as, uh, have their notions that mercy flows not naturally from God, but must be wrested by a multitude of services that God will do nothing without the bribe of a sacrifice. As if God only created men to make sport with their misery. Well, you know better. You've been taught better. But ignorance is fertile ground for many 
sins and sinful mentalities, among which is carnal despair. Sometimes this carnal despair is characterized by a desperate recourse to any and all means, however sinful. As Saul, who said, I am sore distressed, the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and therefore I avail myself of the witch. Sometimes this godless, this rather carnal despair arises from a an atheistic fatalism. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. Sometimes because an overwhelming sense of guilt and a denial and a refusal of all mercy. As Judas, I have sinned and that I have betrayed the innocent blood. And instead of repenting, and falling down and begging God and Christ for mercy, he goes and he hangs himself. There can be a self-abhorrence of one's nature as made in the image of God, blasphemous thoughts and contending against God, which seems to be the case that is before us, imputing excessive harshness to God if not injustice. Whoever comes anywhere near into the tabernacle of the Lord shall die. Shall we be consumed with dying? Who's at fault here in the minds of the people? It's God. Take the mask off off of carnal despair, and there is not repentance. There is rather a hatred of God. And this carnal despair is always characterized by the absence of true God-centered remorse. It is epitomized by man-centeredness, by perverse self-pity, and by Christless heads and Christless hearts. Although the symbol, the type of Christ was held up before them, they would not take it in their heart. They could not find a way to accept, and this is the natural man. He cannot, he cannot accept the terms that God has proposed for salvation. A crucified Savior taking the entire weight of your damnable sins. And that you should add not a farthing of your own so-called righteousness, but rather leave me alone to die in my despair. That's a fearful thing. It's a fearful thing. Now, blessed, as we have heard, blessed are those who mourn. But this is not that. Beware of lookalikes. Beware of a God-hating despair. Where you view him as your enemy and not as your friend. Oh, God is friendly to sinners in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
But you've got to take him as he is and not as you wish him to be. You cannot add your own terms to the contract. You must surrender to him. You must take him. And if you will only do so, then yes, you will pass through great sorrow of heart. But though weeping endures for a night, joy, true joy comes in the morning. Here is hope. Here is hope in that rod. In that weak staff, just like the other 11. Yet it was the staff of God. And the staff that he holds out for life. A staff which we may see and behold there is life and life more abundantly. Therefore take him and yield to him and receive joy. Amen.